1: We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, I can't remember if we actually put a number to it on here last week on the proper. I know we talked about it on the Patreon page, but we had had 17 consecutive weeks of UFC events leading up to last weekend. I understand that that's a record record for the most ever done one right after the other but then no UFC event last weekend we uh had some time to ourselves to to make some choices about what we wanted to do with our entertainment or our family time or whatever what'd you do what'd you do last weekend how'd you pass the time
0: well I had various plans various plans to get my children out of the house and then you know what Chad come Saturday it just rained all damn day
1: it did it was a rainy day just
0: just rained all damn day long. So mostly what I did was stuff of the indoor variety. Um, I also, though, as I will talk about later in my Are You Fucking Kidding Se- Me segment, I learned some hard lessons about how sometimes when it comes to the accounts you choose to follow on the social medias, you reap what you sow. Okay. And sometimes you only have yourself to blame for that. So that's coming up later in the show.
1: You're painting a picture right now for me of a guy just sitting inside with Mm -hmm. the rain coming down outside, Mm -hmm. his children making their own fun around him, and he's just sitting there scrolling his phone, Yep, just spending an entire day scrolling his phone. Probably, given what I know about your uh, Instagram follows, probably seeing a lot of slam ball videos. (laughs) Listen,
0: uh, say what
1: you want about
0: the slam ball Instagram account. It delivers what it promises. You know, it's just they are going to be people jumping off of trampolines, slamming the basketball down in the hoop, and sometimes knocking each other to the ground. And they tell you up front that that's what you can expect. And then when you get in there, that's what you get. I got, I got no beef with the slam ball account.
1: I was, I've, you, I've done, I followed Slam Ball at, at your, I don't know if you like request or behest or whatever it was. Basically, you were like, hey, I follow Slam Ball. And I was like, oh, maybe I should follow Slam Ball too. I was taken aback and continue to be by the amount, the sheer volume of Slam Ball content. I, like you said, the, uh, the content of which I was not surprised by, it's fucking Slam Ball. But yeah. it's a lot it's a lot mm-hmm. of slam ball
0: all the time. It's like, well, doesn't it have to be, they can't rely on you just coming across it on ABC. That's true. You know, it's, that's they true. can't just be like, you're going to be sitting around in your local tavern and there's going to be slam ball on the TV. They need to get a little bit creative with mm-hmm. how they get the slam ball in front of people. Yeah. And you know what they, whoever they got doing social media, I'm going to say it's got to be somebody under 30 for one thing. Just, just, given the whole vibe that's going on there, but they are working their ass off to get that slam ball content in front of you. Yeah. I I respect it. I respect the
1: hustle. Whatever 23 year old intern slam ball is paying $15,000 a year to be their social media manager is an up and comer. Yeah. They'll be running, uh, they'll be running PR and social media for a minor league baseball team in no time. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that's the,
0: what you see as the ladder. It well, starts then, at slam ball. goes up to minor league baseball team. They're, and they're and on then the
1: upward trajectory after that.
0: The New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes. That's uh, how it goes. Hot, hotly contested job to be the social media manager for the New Yorker. Yeah. Uh, you, you I are mean, probably the only person in the nation who follows slam ball and the New Yorker on Instagram. Do you think that's well, true?
0: Me and several of my friends who've I've, been the evangelist to tell them that they need to follow slam ball.
1: Oh now that well, now that you're painting a picture now it sounds like you might be in charge of slam ball social media outreach since you're you know in the world. I, so I far wish away.
0: I wish I could take credit for what they're doing over there. Uh, there's there's just no way. I, all I am uh, I sometimes I think I'm good at the social medias until I see a real pro like the slam ball person. <laughs> all I can do is tip my cap
1: uh rainy saturday ben folks just watching slam ball highlights and maybe some funny hockey videos and then like an emily dickinson poem there you go up
0: on the instagram uh, it's like you've hacked into my account
1: (laughs) remember you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper this show drops every monday afternoon for free in your timelines and your podcast libraries but this isn't the only place you can find us we'll be over on Patreon all week. The co-main event, Ben Folks, myself, we're slamming, no pun intended, slamming out the additional content over there. Uh, Audio content, video content, as well as access to our official Discord message board. We've got the coolest people in MMA over there chatting it up 24-7, 365 on any number of topics. If that sounds good to you, you can join the team over at patreon.com slash co-main event. If it sounds good to you, but you're not quite sure, you're not quite sold, you still want to know what the Patreon is really all about. The good news is you can sign up for a free seven-day trial at patreon.com slash co-main event. We'll let you in at what otherwise would be the $5 level. It's a great chance to check out a week's worth of content, decide if you want to take the plunge and sign up for real. And look, like we say every time, we can only keep making the show with the support of our listeners, listeners like you. There it is. Come party with us, you guys. We think it's the funnest, smartest, most welcoming group of people talking fights online. Head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team. You could also scoop up some dope CME merchandise Just head over to our merch shop at the website comainevent.com. Over there, you'll find old favorites like the Dundasso t-shirt, the old-school Cowboy Astronauts cigarettes t-shirt, and you can find a lot of cool new stuff like our new Are You Fucking Kidding Me designs, shirts for the dreaded MMA gods, as well as the Bobby Nuck shirt, still the hottest seller on the market, and brand new stuff like our Volcomania t-shirt. We partner with our friends at Superconductor on the shop. Superconductor is a brand and design studio uh, in Portland, Oregon. We can't recommend them highly enough for all your brand and design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at studiosuperconductor. We got music this week from old school CME fan Kyle Kelly Yoner, who is a drummer of tremendous skill. He's got a solo record out. We've talked about it before. It's mostly instrumental tracks. It's drums, it's synthesizers. I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can find the rest at his website, KyleKY.com, or follow him at KyleKYDrums on Instagram. Three rounds, as usual, this week. There's another
0: account that I follow, by the way. Yeah,
1: that's what you get. You know, Kyle, he's steady posting updates from the road. He's out Mm -hmm. on tour with various bands. You you want to follow the tour diary, the entertaining tour diary of a young musician, a young professional musician, kyle ky drums that's where you get it
0: yeah i'll tell you what you know not as much uh butt naked drug and fueled partying as i expected there would be but okay okay kyle
1: well that's what you got the slam ball for <laughs> three rounds as usual this week in the Coleman event podcast in round number one it's a trip behind the curtain into the magical realm of State Athletic Commission regulatory functions. Will this help us make any sense of the madness? And in round number two, UFC Fight Night back. Did you miss it? Here we go again. Grant Dawson, Bobby Green, Apex, Groundhog Day, just fill in the blanks like Mad Libs for fights. And in round number three, it's Bellator 300, the granddaddy of them all. Is this a landmark celebration for Scotty Cox's band of misfits toys? Or is it the end of the road? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail.
0: Listener mail.
1: The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Dog Rock B-Boy. Who writes, Meta recently revealed an AI Israel Adasanya that you can chat with in WhatsApp and Messenger, I think, he says. Uh, Did you try it? Maybe you could try it. Thanks. Love the pod. XOXO. Uh, I had to go look this up. Because this was a, uh, he provided a link, Dog Rock B-Boy provided us with a link, but I I had to go check it out because I had not heard of this before. Apparently what uh, Meta, aka Facebook, the artist formerly known as Facebook, is doing is they are creating these AI personalities in various niches that people may want to chat with them, right? So there's like a Tom Brady one. There's like a, uh, there's one of a guy who's a famous YouTuber. They're basically throwing out all of these personalities who are known individuals at various pursuits that people online are interested in. And one of them is Israel Adesanya. He is they're they're, they're all playing a character that has like a different name than yeah, them, which is where it gets, bit, it gets a little Why? bit confusing in there. But uh, nonetheless, one of these characters is Israel Adesanya or based on Israel Adesanya. He lent his brain, I guess. Uh, for lack of a better term, to this new AI, it doesn't seem like it's up yet. It doesn't seem like you can go in there and chat. The thing that I was looking looking at said you had to join some manner of waiting list in order to do it. Uh, and so I have not chatted with the AI Israel Adesanya. And now that I think about it, I don't know if I want to. So I guess my question for you, Ben, folks, we've talked a lot about AI on our Patreon content. We talked about it on uh, Thursday of last week a little bit. Uh, and this is maybe in just uh, the next step, the next ex- next extension of that. But do you want to chat with A.I. Israel Adesanya?
0: No, I do not. Here's what I don't understand. First of all, the whole everybody on here is it's like famous person as made up personality who may or may not bear any resemblance to the actual person, because Israel Adesanya, it lists him here as Izzy Adesanya, as Louise, showy MMA prospect who can back up his trash talk. Now, the only part of that that is not Israel Adesanya himself is the prospect label because right. he is a champion. Other than that, could be described in Israel Adesanya. And then you go to other ones, and it's like Paris Hilton as Amber, detective partner for solving whodunits. That's, that's who we'd turn to. Uh, and then... Tom Brady as a brew wisecracking sports debater who pulls no punches. Tom Brady never made a fucking wisecrack in his life. Yeah. And Paris Hilton as the the big brain is going to solve your mysteries. Like that's that part of it. I definitely do not understand what we're going for, because I would think the appeal of this would be that it's this famous person. But then it's not even that because it is a robot approximating the famous person but now it's approximating the famous person as somebody else I don't understand the appeal of this I also, it's like even if you told me there's an AI that lets you chat with Israel Adesanya well not actually him a computer pretending to be him I'd be like, shit I could have you pretend to chat to Israel Adesanya to me, I could just answer him like, if we're just doing that you could chat to the guy, except not at all except not that even at all Just a completely different thing that we're saying is this, who is that for? I wonder. And especially if there's a waiting list, there's a waiting list to get on this shit. When you sign up for the waiting list to chat with a computer pretending to be a famous person, pretending to be a made up person. I hope that all that happens is they send you an email and they say, go outside, nerd. (laughs) I hope that's the only thing that happens as a result of you signing up for that waiting list. Because that's what should happen, frankly.
1: I don't know who the audience for this is. Uh, it's not us, right? No. I and mean, you, you'd think if 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 we're not going to get online and chat with fake Israel Adesanya pretending to be somebody else, I don't know who's going to. But you got to admit, was there a brief moment when you were like, "Oh, I can go online and chat with AI Israel Adesanya"? I'm going to ask him about the DUI. Was that because that's the first thing I thought of? I was like, I'm going to get on there and see what the AI Israel Adesanya. By the way, AI Israel Adesanya bit of a tongue twister a i i a is what it is uh you wanted you wanted to ask him about the about the dui right see this that was
0: also my first thought especially knowing mma fans that that's what they're gonna do right is gonna get on there and just basically troll troll a computer to be <laughs> like hey heard you got busted drunk driving or why well, you painting your nails you sissy like they're gonna do sh- dumb shit like that at least that's how they're gonna start out and before you know it, they'll be like 2 a.m. up on the Izzy AI and be like, you ever feel like maybe life is it's just a void? It's just there's an, there's an emptiness within. And then the next thing, they're essentially finding a different way to Google reasons to continue living, except they're doing it through a computer pretending to be Israel Asanya, pretending to be somebody else who doesn't even exist.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe you can get real depressed talking to a I I a, and then uh, you can ask <laughs> the AI Paris Hilton to, to figure out if there's a reason you should keep living.
0: Solve the mystery mm-hmm. of the void of existence.
1: Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not totally, uh, uh all of the ACE AI stuff is mysterious to me. We talked about this on Thursday on doing the damn thing behind the Patreon, Patreon wall, my book, was among almost 200,000 that they stole to try to teach uh, Meta and Bloomberg's uh, AI engines how to write like human beings, which is a weird feeling for me. But I just, I keep coming back to the idea of like, man, in a lot of ways, I don't know, I don't understand why we're doing this. Like, if you told me that we were going to feed all of the existing climate data into AI and that AI was going to be like, oh, here is a very simple... Uh, answer to how to reverse climate change that you numbskulls hadn't thought of. Then I'd be like, oh, cool. I'm glad we're using this computer super brain to do something beneficial for society. But it also seems like we're not doing that. We are making AI Israel Adesanya playing a different character that you can go online and waste even more of your time. Uh, No, obviously
0: what we're doing with AI, as we do with pretty much every innovation in this society, is we're essentially... The driving crooner from I think you should leave being like, I got to figure out how to make money off this thing. We're not solving problems, man. That's not what we're out here to do. We're out here to make that sweet, sweet money. And there's never enough.
1: Next question this week comes to us from Izel from the movie Friday, who writes, Are you guys up to speed about the UFC's targeted event for December 9th? According to reports... The card is supposed to be held in China with the main event of uh, Yan versus Song and will also feature the Leech and the Iron Turtle competing as well. Initially, however, I was wondering why wouldn't they book uh, Wai Li versus Yan Nan, but how can one be upset at that bantamweight banger? Please discuss. Uh, So yeah, this event is on the calendar for December 9th. And it is UFC Fight Night 234. It is rumored to be in China, but they do not have a venue yet. And there are three fights listed as confirmed or announced, I guess I should say, on the Wikipedia page. Uh, all of which sure make it look like it's going to be a fight night over there in China, but that's... I got, that's all, that's the only thing that I know about it. And at this point, this is kind of standard, standard operating procedure for these fight nights. I guess the only thing halfway different about this one is that it's scheduled to be in China rather than at the apex in Las Vegas. But you know, it's, it's, these fight nights are generally a random assortment of whoever is ready and around on the day. So I I bet they will, I'll assume they will call it the the, uh, Chinese equivalent of Sean Strickland and he'll come down from the gym and he'll, he'll fight on that night. That's whatever venue that's, they find.
0: That's the thing that every new market the UFC wants to get into, they need a Sean Strickland. You need a local fighter who will just be like, fuck it, yeah, hold on. A uh, car's not working. Let me let me get a jumper cables out, and I can get down there, fight whoever you need. That's, that's what you need if you're going to get into a new market over there. Also, I, we always like to think that it's very easy to be like, oh, you got a fight coming up? On this date, in this country, why wouldn't you have your big fighter from that country fight on that card? And as the matchmakers, while just rubbing their stressed foreheads, like to point out every once in a while when they get the chance, these people aren't just chess pieces that you move around however you want. They they also they have other stuff going on in their lives at times. They're dealing with injuries. They're dealing with recoveries from recent fights. Uh, You got to get two of them to agree to it at the same time. So like there's just because we can look at it and be like, hey, this would seem to be the natural fit for this fight card. There's a lot of reasons why it might not work out that way. And, you know, the UFC, they're not necessarily making these plans being like we must. It absolutely hinges on this person fighting. They're making the plans because we want to be in that market. So we're going to put on a fight there. And then it's going to be a lot of TBD versus TBA. And we'll figure it out when we fucking have to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Next question this week comes to us from Foghorn. I'm gonna Put this foot upside your head. Okay. Okay. What did you make of the performance by Cedric Dombe at at PFL Europe this past weekend? All the talk after his nine-second knockout in which he carried a mattress during his walkout was the UFC's error in judgment not to sign him as well as his domestic violence claims against MMA factory head coach Fernand Lopez. Did you catch this? Uh, so the MMA journey of Cedric Doomay continues to get weirder and weirder. There's two parts of this that we can talk about as as separate units because one of them concerns the fight and then one of them concerns the weird stuff that was said after the fight. The fight is is there's not much to talk about. He goes out there and lays this dude down in nine seconds during his PFL Europe debut. Now you may remember that Cedric Dombey was originally signed to be a UFC fighter. Mm -hmm. And he was all set to make his UFC fight. Exactly what happened is a little bit hard to suss out, but something with a brain scan that didn't seem great. And so he was not allowed to fight for the UFC during his, uh, his planned debut. Somehow he was let go or they didn't get a contract finalized with him. He turns around, he signs with the PFL for, quote, 10 times as much as the UFC was going to, sign him for he goes over there to the pfl europe he makes his debut over the weekend it seems like a smashing success so i guess the first questions are what did you think of cedric dombey's pfl debut i believe he is maybe five and zero now in mma and did the ufc fumble the bag on uh cedric dombey i'll say
0: one thing you walk out with a mattress for your opponent you better win mm-hmm. you better win by knockout you win a split decision after that one, it's not really going to work, man. You know, if you, God forbid, you get knocked out after doing that, <sighs> the the MMA memery, the the meme lords out there, they will never let you live that one down. So, honestly, nine-second knockout, about as well as it could possibly go. You know, lands one punch, basically, and that one's over. You know, it's always tough to... Provide too much of an assessment after something like that, other than okay, that that boy looked good, you know, that dude can short hit. That's kind of what we knew going into it. I also I understand why people would focus on the UFC, like be like, okay, you had this guy and you lost him, essentially. But also, as we've talked about before, I don't know if the UFC is really sweating that that much. Right. I think that they're going. We have built ourselves a machine that trudges on regardless of who's here and who's not. If they could let Francis and Ganu walk, then, you know, they're, I don't think they're worried too much about every once in a while a prospect, somebody with a lot of future in this sport, slips through our hands, you know?
1: Yeah. I guess, yeah, my answer to that is similar. I would say talk to me six fights from now if Cedric Dumbay is still out there laying fools out in under a minute in his fights, then you could be like, okay, well maybe this does seem like a guy that UFC would want to have. But I think you're right. They ultimately don't care that much about these specific personalities when they have basically turned their own business into a light license to print their own money, which they are. In fact, you just essentially doing just money spitting out everywhere from these fight nights. The second part well, of also, this, no, go ahead. You, if you look around at some of like recent
0: fighters where some other promoter gets them, and maybe they have one aspect of, a, of an exciting skill set we really want to see highlighted. And like and there's something like Michael Venom Page, where Bellator got him and was just like, we're going to go all in on trying to make Michael Venom Page a guy. Um, and yeah, you, you get somewhere with that. But it's not like the UFC is sitting around being like, well, if only we could have got our hooks into Michael Venom Page, everything would be different now. like. I don't. I just don't think that they see it as being a significant part of what they're doing. Plus, I think if the UFC goes oh, okay, PFL paying that guy ten times what we were, let them, let them burn through their cash infusion, uh, let let them pay out the nose for these guys. We'd rather have ten other guys at that 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 original price point that we thought we were going to get him at than to have one guy who comes in making that kind of money just because the, they're running a volume business at this point. They're not running a we we desperately need to build any kind of stars we can. PFL needs that at this point. The UFC kind of doesn't.
1: So the other part of this is much stranger and that is that uh, Seder Dumbe wins this fight. He knocked out Jordan Zabo Z-bo, in a welterweight fight. He comes to the post-fight interview portion of the evening, and this his interview is in French, so in some ways we're dealing with a translation here, but some of it seems fairly straightforward. Basically what Dumbe says is that, hey, I wasn't out there just fighting Jordan Zebo. I was also fighting his coach, Fernand Lopez, who is also, I believe, Senator uh, Dumbe's former manager, and he basically makes this all- allegation that uh, Dumbe himself witnessed Fernand López uh, assaulting his ex-wife physically assaulting her sounds like he he says he heard it while he was on the phone with her and it sounds like maybe he was witness to it in previous gym situations so basically he was saying hey I'm I'm fighting domestic violence I wanted to knock out Fernand López so I knocked out his, his student instead uh, there has been a lot of innuendo made and, and guessing about uh, the relationship here between Cedric Dumbe and the woman involved and Fernand Lopez and all this other different stuff, uh, but just strange, strange happenings after this fight for uh, for all this to come out that in some ways is, you know, just another weekend in mixed martial arts for someone to score a huge victory and then uh, change the change the, the the entire view view of it, the entire landscape around it with a an off-the-cuff post-fight interview after it's over. Yeah, I mean,
0: it is tough to know what to make of all that. And also, if you're going to make... Like, one accusation that it seems like the MMA community mostly has decided it sadly doesn't care that much about is stuff like domestic violence, you know? Like, look around look around at what's going on in mma every once in a while if it's somebody we already dislike we'll claim to care about it for for the most part in the sport it is not the career killer that maybe it ought to be or that it is in some other sports and so you introduce that element of it here um and i don't know it's one more reminder that in mma we're out here grading on a curve big time when it comes to how we view people you know
1: next question this week comes to us from darkwing duck who writes don't know if you guys caught the latest sean strickland comments where he wait don't stop reading yet where strickland (laughs) appears to speak out against materialism and consumerist expectations of society what is going on here is there actually some stuff to like about strickland or did they just turn the recording off before he started talking about flat earth and human trafficking uh so i believe this is from sean strickland's youtube Page, where this is his first uh, significant interview since winning the title over Israel Adesanya. I've seen this a lot of uh, a lot of places. I will read the pertinent quote here. I'm looking at the bloody elbow uh, transcription by Nate Wilcox over there. This is this is Sean Strickland's quote. He says, "The re- the reason why I drive like a Hyundai is one, I'm cheap, very cheap. But like the entire world makes you feel inadequate. Everything we do, from what you wear to what you drive, you are born living in a commercial." When you're a little infant and you're watching tv you are born looking at audi and mercedes commercials when you hand in a kid when you hand a kid a cell phone they are born and being brainwashed and like i love america more than anything but i do not recognize the world we live in we are creating a generation of boys who judge their character by what they drive and what they wear i don't want to participate in making people feel like they are not enough if you make, if you work an eight-hour job, if you do rebar, if you do electrical, I think that the the value of you is by how you act, by the kind of father you are, and it's a damn shame. It's a damn shame that we let corporations come in this country and we ruin the idea of what a man is. So as long as I'm champion, you guys enjoy your uh, old beat-up fucking Honda Civics, man. Just enjoy that shit. Uh, so yeah, here's Sean Strickland. Oh... Um, crafting a bit of a populist message here uh, on behalf of the everyman. But I would also say using a bunch of words and terminology where it seems like he is one shift in conversation away from backsliding into all of the stuff that he normally says about all of the stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, talk about grading on a curve. This one is, it does seem better, more coherent, and like a more positive message, I guess, than most Sean Strickland. I don't want to say rants, because this this one doesn't qualify as a rant, but most most Sean Strickland social positions, let's say. This one does seem a little better. Because there are... You get you veer into some territories where I'm like, okay, Sean Strickland kind of spitting some truth here about corporations and then consumerism and things like that. But then you're also being like, they're telling you what a man really is, and they're wrong because it's like, oh, okay, that sounds like you want to tell us. What it is. And I mean, you have a like, your objection is not that some other outside entity is telling you it's one rigid definition for, you know, an entire group of people and that is wrong. You're saying it's the wrong rigid definition. Um, So, uh, still, by Sean Strickland's standards, you know, it's like, it's not like he called to take away voting rights from half the population. So, I guess that is better. Uh, But I mean, I, I think you could actually, if you're going to be a UFC champion who drives around in just a regular ass car that you still need to you know do some work on in your free time, you could you could do something with that as a gimmick. You know, like we're always talking about the need to stand out. You could you could do a lot worse than to be sort of the the anti Conor McGregor in that sense. Conor McGregor is out here uh, in his custom made suits on his yacht and you pull up in a Honda Civic talking about how this sport coat was 40 bucks off the rack at Target, and you haven't even slid open the pockets yet. Like, we you could go somewhere with that, you know? The, the rest of the message, uh, you know, you let Sean Strickland keep talking long enough, and I, I have a feeling we're going to circle back around to some of that other stuff that we're used to hearing from him. But, the, like... If Sean Strickland gonna win the UFC championship and drive off in a Hyundai, brother, I think that uh, we could have a lot of fun with that. You know?
1: Yeah. No, I agree, and I agree with you. It's it's uh, it's not a bad look, and it's maybe the most likable thing we have heard Sean Strickland say during his time of memory in the in the UFC. But I do I do kind of feel like I agree with the Darkwing Duck here at the end, where he's like, "Did they stop the recording?" before he start talking about flat <laughs> earth and human trafficking because we've we've talked about this about sean strickland before where we have heard sean strickland make statements where you get 50 percent into it and you're like yes sean yeah, yeah you're really and then he says something where you're like nah no nope you but were so you... close bud you were right at the precipice of like being right about something and then you you toppled off into into scum and villainy that
0: if though makes me think that there's more hope for Sean Strickland than there is for a lot of other people who don't even get to that 50% because sometimes, you know, he'll start talking about some of this stuff and you're just like, you know, you're like, okay, if you could just, if we could just fine tune it a little bit, maybe we we'll get there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just feel like there are some hopeful signs, and maybe even some signs of improvement from Sean Strickland. I do like that he's still in that apartment when yeah. we see the clips of him out there fixing the UFC title. Gonna have a lot of guns just on the wall with the ammo right there. Kind of poor firearm safety from Sean Strickland, but there, there's some stuff there that you could build on. I, after I keep thinking about the thing Eric Nixick said about how his, you know, his girlfriend had been such a positive influence in his life showed him that it was okay to love and let himself be loved and in so doing made him more coachable maybe the girlfriend is the path to to improving sean strickland here maybe if she could just get in his ear and be like sean i think i would like to vote don't you think that that would be okay
1: and sean be like you know what now that you say it
0: yeah 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 sure you Mm -hmm. could vote
1: yeah yeah All right, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, we were talking about this on this show during the summer, I believe, that being that Ariel Helwani had this report out in the middle of the summer about the California State Athletic Commission's policy of having basically a regulatory meeting with officials and judges and referees after big-time combat sports events in that state where they all get together and they discuss... The night of fights and the the calls that they made and the decisions that the judges rendered and they all sort of back up their logic and they comment on it. And that in response to some criticisms that Ariel was making about judging in MMA, uh, Andy Foster was basically like, yeah, our meetings are open to the media. If you would like to go, just let us know And we've been doing that since 2006, uh, which was a, a big surprise to all of us in the media, because I don't think any of us knew that we could do that, that we could go attend these meetings and maybe find out a little bit more, get a little bit of a peek behind the curtain into the, the mindset of these judges and referees that have so much impact and control over what happens, not only with the wins and losses, but also like essentially what happens with some fighters careers. And so MMA junkie this past uh, few months went to one of these meetings. it's a story by Simon Samano over there on MMA junkie, Where basically he sat in on uh, one of these meetings and asked some questions, transcribed a lot of the judges and referees thoughts on various fights and and why they made calls the way they did. This, I believe, was in the the wake of Bellator 290 uh, this year, I think is when it was. And so uh, it's an interesting story. If you want to go find it on MMA Junkie, kind of read through it and find out you know, read through the fights and the various people involved, one of whom, by the way, one of the fight judges here, Chris Lieben. Yeah, uh, the cat so smasher. The cat smasher. It's always nice to hear from him. But I thought, you know, this is an, uh, an illuminating story, just kind of uh, it goes through this one event and which fights were of interest and which ones they wanted to hear the judges and the referees talk about, and then those people give their, give their opinions. I don't know. I thought it was, uh, number one, it's great, obviously, that the California State Athletic Commission does this. It would be great if everyone did it, but they won't. Uh, and it was. I thought this was a good story by MMA Junkie to write about this thing and kind of, uh, you know, p- open the lid, unscrew the lid a little bit and let some light into what is sometimes a very impenetrable process in this sport. Yeah,
0: and my main takeaway after reading this was, first of all, why is California the outlier with stuff like this, you know? I think a lot of people have it in their minds maybe just because of their associations with the fight business itself, that Nevada is the gold standard. Las Vegas, that seems like the fight capital of the world, right? So they think, okay, that's the commission that we should all be looking to. And honestly, especially if you track the way the Nevada commission has trended over the last five to 10 years, they've gotten worse. They've gotten worse in pretty much all regards. And California is the one that has been consistently getting better. And ever since Andy Foster took over there, especially I think it helps having a former fighter himself be the guy in charge. But the thing that makes them seem different from basically every other athletic commission in the country is that they seem to be always looking for ways that they could improve in and, and so many ways. You know, they were the ones sort of trying to spearhead some program to make it so that uh, if you were coming in way heavier on fight night than you were at the weigh-ins that we're going to go ahead and tell you that you should move up a weight class you know since they were the only one doing it it made limited progress i did a story a while back on their kind of internal process for evaluating judges after each event and sort of going to a judge who's the outlier on split decisions and being like explain yourself and making some decisions about how who we're going to use going forward based on some of that And it seems, though, that you only ever hear about it with the California Athletic Commission. Everybody else, it seems like their main focus is on continuing to do whatever they're doing, using whoever they've always used, and trying to let us know as little as possible about it. And some of the stuff that is interesting to me, reading this actual story, is they're going through some of these fights and asking some questions about, okay, how did you think about this one? How did you think about that? Is that, if anything it helps you feel like you understand their thinking and the process more. I, I feel like commissions are worried that maybe if they start having judges and referees talk to us after the fights, then they'll get bogged down into a whole thing and that it will become a major distraction. And really, it feels like when you hear from them, you can at least go, well, okay, I get what you're thinking there. I, I, I at least get some rationale for what it was, rather than us just every weekend being mad at you and you staying silent, and then we just stay mad. Like Especially, like there was one of these fights where uh, there was a point in it where it could have been stopped, right? Where one guy's beating up on the other guy. And Herb Dean, I think it is, explains his process where he's like, I go into their locker rooms beforehand, you know, we talk about rules and fouls and all that other stuff, but one of the things I tell them about when I go to stop a fight is, I will say something to you before I stop it. I will say, you know, I, will, I want to see a fight back or something. Um, and if I say fight back, that means I'm thinking about stopping it. And you need to show me that you're still in this, that you can understand what I'm saying. You're close enough to, to consciousness to understand and react and that you still want to fight. Like show me that you, you do not want me to stop this fight. And saying like, okay, you know, every time I said something to the guy like uh, fight back, he, he moved. He, he did something. Even if the thing he did is not necessarily instantly successful, he is showing me he still wants to be in this fight. And that, when you hear it explained like that, especially where he's talking about a specific example, you come away and you go, yeah, that makes some sense. Like, I understand what you were thinking there. And in so many other instances where if we don't hear anything at all, I don't think that it helps them as much as the, the commission seemed to think that it does, you
1: know? Yeah, when you say commissions being the gold standard, what you're talking about is commissions actually doing their jobs. And I think that one of the things that perhaps makes uh, Nevada continue to be so attractive, and also places like Texas, Arizona, uh, Abu Dhabi, you know, uh, Ohio, Florida, these places that you see the um, bigger. Fight promotions like the UFC going, is that in some ways they feel like they can uh, push those athletic commissions around, and or yeah. for lack of a better way to say it, just kind of get their way, right? Uh, and in in California, they are actually trying to function as as a reg- regulatory body, like they are trying to function in the way that a that a athletic commission is supposed to function. Like Andy Foster in California are trying to do a good job in terms of regulating the health and safety of fighters. And other places they are doing a good job making money for Mm -hmm. themselves, for the city, for the fight promoters who come in. And so that's one of the big differences here is that it actually seems like Andy Foster, as you mentioned, a former fighter, is trying to do a good job. And he's trying to uh, make it better for the, the fighters and for uh, you know, the public, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Remember, California is also the state where they're talking about pensions for boxers and perhaps MMA fighters. If you log a certain number of rounds in professional fights in that state, you could qualify for a California boxers pension, which again, is not something that they are doing anywhere else. But they, you know, California, I'm not sure if they are doing it or if it is a consideration, but it's, it's a thing that is seemingly uh, about to be a reality or is a reality in California. Uh, The other thing I might say is when was the last time the UFC went to California to do an event? It has been a long time since they have been there. So uh, you see again that, you know, California is doing a great job in terms of uh, actually regulating and making things, trying to make things better and more transparent for the people involved. Are they also in some ways, Mm -hmm doing things that that influence places or large fight promotions like the UFC to go elsewhere. Uh, because, you know, the UFC at this point is real. They've got a circuit that they like to do. You know, they go to Nevada. Yeah. They, they go overseas. They go to places like uh, Florida, uh, Tennessee, Texas, North Carolina. They go to New York. They go to New Jersey, those kind of places. But they, you know, they're going to places that uh, seem like they are Uh, agreeable, let's just say, to the way... I guess the the UFC did a show in San Diego in uh, August of 2022. It might have been the last time that they were in California. Really? Oh, wait. uh, Yeah, that's the last California show I'm seeing. Well, that's
0: that's surprising. I would have thought that we had one this year. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess I just wonder, like, why... Why other commissions feel like you you gotta necessarily choose between continuing to make money, getting the UFC to come there, and at least trying to improve in some ways. Because I get where the move that we've seen the transparency the lack of transparency that we've seen when it comes to fighter pay a lot of the commissions have been very complicit with because the UFC said we would like you to stop making that information available to the public and a lot of them said yes sir Mr UFC is there anything else we could do for you and that's that's not helpful that's not what necessarily a government regulator should be doing but this this other stuff where you let the referees and the judges Talk to us, you let the the media into some of these sort of uh, post-event meetings where we're going through and we're sorting through what went well, what went wrong, uh, what everybody was thinking, I don't see why the UFC or any promoter would really be opposed to that, right? Because that's the stuff where, like, Dana White wants to show up at press conferences all the time and complain about commissions, complain about judging, complain about refereeing. He's one of the first guys to talk all kinds of shit on them. So wouldn't he also want them to be trying to get better? Other than them just saying, like, hey, this is the job that we do. Sometimes it's shitty. Take it or leave it. We don't much care. Like, I would think he would also want to be able to hear from them. Or at least I can't see the USC having a vested interest in stopping that kind of transparency.
1: Unless that's what they want. Unless what they want is to be able to come out and complain about it later and without really having to know be have any transparency about it i don't know all right interesting stuff from california go read the mma junkie story if you are interested uh and uh you know i think it's, it's a good story to help us continue our understanding and good for california to be doing these kind of things all right let's do are you fucking kidding me and then we'll move on to round number two ben what's your are you fucking kidding me this week well chad as promised i'm gonna tell you how i'm sitting around
0: I'm looking at my my social medias on the phone. Yeah, it's a rainy
1: day. It's raining outside.
0: Among the accounts I follow, Chad, is the Bare Knuckle FC account. Okay. Yeah. And I got to say, this week's Are You Fucking Kidding Me? goes out to me. (laughs) Because not only did I click the follow button on Bare Knuckle FC, I scrolled down, I saw their caption on a video they posted from this fight, Uh, between Britton Hart and Melanie Shaw over the weekend. The caption was in all caps, teeth are flying in round five. And damn it, what did I do? I just kept on watching that video. So whatever happened after that was on me. Hmm. And I tell you what happened after that is you could watch Melanie Shaw's face changing shape with pretty much every punch that Bretton Hart landed on her. Just, just an absolute mess. By the time this video is over, teeth are indeed flying. They say that like it's a, like it's a selling point, you know, like, or like hey. it's
1: a, a metaphor, like, you know, like in this, it's an expression. <laughs> oh, teeth are flying. No, they mean it literally.
0: Yeah. They mean teeth are flying out of people's mouths as a result of the trauma that they are sustaining at our event. And, you should see this video, Chad, If you, especially if you want to hate yourself for your own choices, because she, her face is just it, at the beginning of the video, it's already messed up. And then it feels like 20 seconds later, you've watched her eat a dozen more unanswered bear fish shots to the face. uh, And you're just you're imagining how that's going to feel in the morning. You're. You just show up to the airport tomorrow morning to try to fly home. They're gonna be like, Can we see your ID along with your boarding pass? They're gonna look at the picture on the ID, and they're gonna look at you and they'll be like, Nope. That ain't the same person. Are you fucking kidding me? Why did I do this to myself?
1: <laughs> uh, did you just invite me to watch an internet video if I wanted to hate myself and my choices? Yep. Sure did. Oh well, now I want to see it. I'll be honest, I do want to see it now. Uh, ben, See? I know we talked about this last week on the Power Hour on Friday, but man, I'm still thinking about it. I am still thinking about it this week. And that is this, this video that Dana White posted last week, which was then retweeted by Jed Goodman, which is how I saw it on my timeline. And I guess I just got to say exciting stuff is happening in the life of Dana White, UFC president, longtime UFC president, a big happening, a milestone in this man's life that he seems excited about. And uh, of course, I am referring to the fact that one of the bucking bulls that he owns is about to make its debut in the Professional Bull Riders Association. This going back to uh, an episode of Looking For A Fight that Dana White recorded with Matt Serra back in like 2016. He was referring to it here in this quote where he says, for, they rode a bull on that show. And for whatever reason, mm-hmm. he says, I totally got into it and I started buying bulls. I owned a bull called F-Bomb, Stank Face, White Thunder, Sour Diesel. Now, I finally have a bull that's making it to the big time. He's going to the PBR, and the PBR is coming to the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, here for the team championships, and my bull, Twisted Steel, will be bucking there. You fucking kidding me? It has been a long ass time since we heard Dana White be excited about anything happening in the UFC And here he is. He's got to record this video. He's bursting with joy that his bull, Twisted Steel, is about to buck at the PBR. Oh, by the way, on the same day that the UFC is putting a pay-per-view on from Abu Dhabi. So not only is it a milestone in the life of Dana White, it's a quandary.
0: Well, Chad, I think we can all agree Big moment in anybody's life when their bull finally makes it to the PPR. Yeah. To the big we, time. You
1: know, we all had high hopes for stank face and he just didn't make it <laughs> had some holes in his game, but now you got twisted steel. He's graduated to the big time. Are you yeah, fucking I kidding mean, me? What how, how are you not going to be excited about that? Here is the UFC president apparently with so much money that by his own telling, he can get into raising and buying rodeo bulls for reasons he not even he can articulate. He says, for whatever reason, I don't know. I just got into buying bulls. You fucking kidding me? You don't know why? You just say, like, I don't know. something I'm into now. I buy bulls. Chad, you hear the call of the bull. And, you know, what can you do?
0: He's what talking can you about do answer.
1: buying and raising bulls the same way we would talk about, like, trying a new flavor of gum like you know what i normally get the orange but i decided to get peppermint this week and i'm really liking it i'm just i'm chewing this whole new flavor of gum and he's like i don't know i'm buying and raising rodeo livestock you yeah. fucking kidding me Raise, raising might be a little bit sure yeah no <laughs> stretch maybe coming down once a year to walk past the stalls right yeah where the bulls are being raised i'm yeah. just you fucking kidding me buying bulls now whatever shout out to stank face stank face r.i.p stank face uh that's gonna do it for are you fucking kidding me we'll be right back with round number two
0: Chad, after taking the week off to let our insatiable appetite for MMA action just continue to grow, the UFC is now going to feed that lion with none other than a fight card headlined by lightweights Grant Dawson and Bobby Green. Now, this one has all the earmarks to me of one of those kind of events where there's a certain business that the UFC is more excited about being in. A, UFC, a business that the UFC maybe sees a little bit more of a future in. And it seems like that is the Grant Dawson business. Mm-hmm. And Bobby Green is here, uh, perhaps as a reliable face, a guy, a known quantity, a guy who is going to help you uh, generate some quotes and some media interest leading up to it, but also a guy where... As far as the game he brings, you kind of know what he's got at this point. He got back in the win column uh, with that submission victory in the final 10 seconds against Tony Ferguson uh, back in July, but before that, hadn't had a win that stood up since a decision over Nasrat Hakparast, uh at UFC 271, and it seems like the UFC feels like, okay, Grant Dawson is a guy who could be somebody, do you think that it's they're going to get their wish out of this one?
1: Probably right. Like, uh, this is Bob, this will be Bobby green's sixth fight since February of 2022. So, you know, a little bit under two years that Bobby green makes that many appearances. He's been fighting pretty frequently for the UFC. And then you got Grant Dawson who has won 11 fights in a row and has bounced around a little bit between lightweight and featherweight seems to have settled in now As a lightweight, he's won some performance of the night bonuses. Uh, He had one majority draw with Ricky Glenn in October of 2021. This will only be his second fight of 2023. So maybe he's a person that isn't right there at the top of everyone's minds as a, a prospect, but he is definitely very good, 29 years old. So you could see why he would want to be a person or why he would be a person that the UFC would want to get a relatively high profile win over uh bobby green and so i would be surprised if that is not what happens here
0: now you had put forth the theory fairly recently that you know a lot of the ufc cards that we see especially the fight night cards you see a lot of competitive matchups and uh then when we saw one uh with the Notcha ufc one where we saw a little bit more of longer odds on some of the fight cards and people turns out really liked it <laughs> uh Maybe is that really what we wanted? Looking at the odds for this one, you kind of see a little, you know, there's there's a couple plus 145s versus minus 175 kind of things, but you see Grant Dawson as a minus 425 favorite. You see uh, Joe Pfeiffer as a minus 470 favorite. You see, of course, the handsomest man, Neneh May, who I could not let us talk about this fight card without mentioning. Drew Dober comes in as a mi- minus 470 favorite. Is start to see a little more of that kind of stuff? Is that intentional, do you think?
1: Hard to know. Uh, I think it's one of the things that is worth remembering is that probably most fans don't know or care anything about those betting lines. So you know what well, they just see stoppages right they just see entertaining fights yeah. they see a good performance by one of the two people or a good fight between two people and that's all they care about so uh any idea that what we would that what we want are like close competitive fights may be a bit of a misnomer and maybe what we want is what we got at noche ufc uh a couple of weeks ago but yeah it, you know it wouldn't be the worst thing. I don't think for the UFC if Grant Dawson came out here and got a stoppage win over Bobby green that would launch himself into the, uh, into the consciousness of at least the MMA bubble fan who is going to watch a fight night. he's like, I said, 12 fights without a loss. Most of them have been, uh, stoppages, submissions and, and KOs. So if he goes out there and gets another one over a person that we've all heard of in Bobby green, then like you said, it probably becomes a little bit, uh, a little bit easier for the ufc to be in the grant dawson business
0: yeah uh overall interest level in the fight card like this coming off a weekend with no ufc where you at where's the hype level at
1: Low. not very hyped at all this is definitely a sunday morning recap event for me uh i will watch the the main event for sure uh if i see anything that uh that seems interesting. I will probably circle back on it. There are some known people on here right Joaquin Buckley drew Dober who you mentioned Felipe Linz uh and Iwan Cutilaba are gonna have a fight Alexander Hernandez Karolina Kovalvich like there's a there is some uh some recognizable faces on here and that you know isn't isn't the worst thing for a fight night but at the same time. I'm not that hyped about it, man. You can't be either, right? Like, this isn't one that you look at and you're like, oh, man, damn, mark my calendar. Make sure I set a Google alert. Make sure Alexa is going to remind me when this one is going to be going to be kicking off.
0: No, this is one where, first of all, I want to make sure that uh, Drew Dober doesn't get the moneymaker marked up. Too bad. I uh, want to see good things happen for Drew Dober. Plus, you know, I naturally I follow Drew Dober on the Instagrams. As I have mentioned, uh, he and I, we may have different ideas about what it means for uh, a wardrobe to fit, for your pants to, to fit, your, for, your, for your shirt to be the right size. We, we we differ on some of those points, but I still really appreciate him. I'm going to appreciate all the Fight Week content from him and hope he, he does well in the fight. Mainly what I'll be interested to see uh, is if... This is one of those fight cards where if I happen to be looking at Twitter on Saturday night, I open it up around nine o'clock or something, and people are like, Grant Dawson and Bobby Green about to do it. Okay, then, then I will tune in. I will tune into the main event live if I can. Otherwise, a lot of this stuff, you're right, is a Sunday morning catch up kind of material just because otherwise. You know, a six fight main card means a whole lot of filler that you're sitting through on a UFC broadcast. And if my reward for sitting it all sitting through it all is Alex Morono and Joaquin Buckley, I don't I don't know. I feel like I could I could circle back one with that one with a cup of coffee on Sunday morning.
1: All right, that's gonna do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. ben it's going down saturday night october the 7th pachanga arena granddaddy of them all down there in san diego it's bellator 300 originally had four title fights on the main card one of those just fell apart today linton vassal has withdrawn from his heavyweight title fight against ryan bater bader excuse me due, due, due to an undisclosed illness so we're down to three title fights. You're going to have Usman Nurmagomedov putting the lightweight title on the line against Brent Primus. You're going to have women's featherweight champion Chris Cyborg fighting Kat Zingano and you're going to have women's flyweight champion Liz Carmouche squaring off with Alima Lee McFarlane. That those are just three of the now I believe 16 fights on the docket for Bellator 300 in Saner Times. We would probably be talking about Bellator 300 as a landmark event for this organization, something meaningful, a benchmark, if you will, a signpost for the Scott Coker era in Bellator. But instead, we are all kind of circling around this event, casually wondering if this or maybe Bellator 301 will be the last events, at least under the Bellator banner because there is a lot of uh, smoke and rumors and reports floating around that the PFL is on the verge of buying Bellator and we just don't know what, what would happen to it after that. So not to ask you a cynical question, but are you more or less excited about Bellator 300 given the implications of what could be going around about Bellator Bellator ownership? Well,
0: it's hard to completely separate it in your mind, isn't it? You know, once, once you hear some of that stuff, Uh, it's the kind of fight car where you're really loading up on things. Then that, that seems worthy of getting our interest regardless of what's going on, but it's not like we could ever pretend we don't know what's going on. And in fact, all those rumors make it so that when you do load up on a big fight card, it feels a little bit more like a going out of business sale than it does. Just like, Hey, we're really trying to put together something special for the fans because of, you know, the, the round numerical number of Bellator 300. Um, so, you know, you look at the fight card itself and you have some interesting stuff on here. Uh, it also seems like, you know, it's like a, a local business announces that they're shutting down soon and then suddenly everybody wants to go. I, I could understand if Bellator has a little bit, might have a little bit of that uh, bittersweet feeling about that that you could, where you could be like, where were you fuckers before? You know, this is not helping us all that much now. Um, it also seems like, can you imagine a world in which there is no truth at all to the rumors <laughs> that Bellator is shutting down? And it just is a it's a persistent thing that won't go away and people keep talking about it and people are even like, Oh yeah, we wanna make sure we can watch your show while while we still can and you're going like first of all, go to hell, everybody. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. But also, I don't know, maybe if that lends to more short term interest, maybe you take it. I don't know. It would, that would be a weird place to be. And also, one of the things that make you think that there has to be something to it because you do not hear as vociferous a denial as you would expect if there was absolutely no truth to it.
1: Yeah, it's hard to believe Bellator would be going with an all publicity is good publicity approach to rumors that it was about to be sold and then, you know, die a quiet death. If it's not going to be sold, they also need to tell the fighters because, you know, we talked about this on (laughs) Friday because Johnny Eblen was on the MMA hour last week and Ariel asked him and he thought maybe he had had his last fight for Bellator and his answer was maybe, maybe not. But while talking about the maybe not side of things, he said, quote, maybe they'll drag this out a little bit longer to which I thought to myself, that is not something you say if the if the company is doing well. Nobody's, yeah. nobody's over there talking about how they're going to main event the UFC next month and be like, I don't know, and maybe the UFC will drag things out a little bit more from there. Pretty sure that the UFC is going to be a going concern. And if they, the <laughs> same was true of Bellator, I don't know that Johnny Eblen would be talking about it that way. I mean, the other thing is, like we talked about a little bit before, I think Bellator 299 had 20 fights on it. Bellator 300 is scheduled or was scheduled to have 17 fights on it, I believe. Bellator 301 is scheduled to have 16 or 17 fights on it. So if indeed there is an agreement in place for the PFL to buy Bellator or if an agreement seems imminent and those fighter contracts are transferable from one company to the other when the PFL buys Bellator, it sure does look like they're trying to liquidate a lot, right? They're trying to maybe get through as many of these fighter contracts as they can which if you were the pfl maybe you would want to do if you didn't necessarily have to be on the hook for everybody that bellator has under contract uh so that that could be something that's going on here uh but yeah it just seems like we are all kind of going over these fight cards with a magnifying glass trying to figure out what's going on with bellator in terms of this event and maybe the next one and could that be it when in another world we might be talking about how uh, it seems meaningful that Bellator got to 300 events. I don't know. It just seems, uh, maybe not the way you want to celebrate this, this particular milestone. If you are Bellator, I will also say Bellator 300 and Bellator 301 both have Bellator lightweight grand prix semifinal fights scheduled. You know, the, the lightweight title fight here between Nurmagomedov and, and Brent premis is a semifinal fight. And then on Bellator, uh, 301, Patricky Pitbull and Alexander Shabili uh, will fight. And so, are we going to get into a, a classic MMA situation where the Bellator Lightweight Grand Prix is never finished?
0: You're saying maybe I should hold off sending out those invitations to my Bellator Lightweight Grand Prix Finals watch party?
1: It's a possibility. It's a possibility.
0: I got all this ice though, Chad,
1: <laughs> you already ordered balloons. Oh yeah. God, what am I going to do? Uh, other than that though, what, what kind of interest level do you have in, in Bellator 300? I guess, you know, we, we lost the, uh, the Bader vassal heavyweight title fight, which was supposed to be the main event of all of this stuff. It is called Bellator 300 Bader versus vassal two. Now it's called Bellator 300 Dermagomedov versus premise. But, you know, Bellator's out here. They're, they're rolling out, for the most part, the best they got in uh, Nurmagomedov and Chris Cyborg and Liz Carmouche and Kat Zingano, Aleema Lee McFarlane going to be on the card. They're supposed to have Ryan Bader. It seems like they're, in some ways, pulling out the stops for us here.
0: It does. And, yeah, the, I mean, when you get Cyborg and Kat Zingano on the card, I'm like, okay, yeah. Cyborg has always has been appointment-viewing. In MMA for a long, long time, uh, you know, a Gometov versus Brent Primus, who was always a fun guy to have around. Like those are interesting fights. I mean, I will say, uh, anytime you got three title fights, that is a a potential for a long night. A little bit there, you know. Like I mean, if you get all those going the five full round distance there, that right there. Like, if you're in the arena for that, imagine you were like, ah yeah, I got Bellator tickets. I'm showing up right for the first fight, man, all sixteen bouts on this main card, and then you get, you know, seventy five minutes of fighting action out of just the top three fights alone. Like it's you're gonna be a little bit of a bleary eyed MMA zombie on the drive home from that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder how it affects uh, the mindset of the fighter if they think that the organization that they're fighting for is about to go out of business. You would think for a Johnny Eblin or an Aaron Pico, their their prospects might be even higher if they suddenly become free agents or if they are suddenly major players in what would essentially be a PFL, Bellator, super organization. But I wonder about... uh, Dudes like Sergio Pettis and Patchy Mix who are fighting to unify the Bellator Men's Bantamweight Championship at Bellator 301 next month. What does it mean? Let's say you're Patchy Mix and you roll into this thing as interim Bellator Men's Bantamweight Champion and you beat young Serge and you become the actual unified undisputed Bellator Men's Bantamweight Champion and then Bellator goes out of business. Is that yeah. is that good or bad for you? I don't know. Either way,
0: I mean, I don't you think maybe the way to think about it is, I you know, first of all, always better to win these fights than to lose them.
1: That's that's but
0: what we always say. I am maybe out here using these fights as an audition for my next landing spot.
1: Yeah. So you're saying dress for the job you want, not the job you have.
0: So maybe that <laughs> yeah. mix comes you know, out just in a random like a... fight kit i don't know just want want people to maybe you know show up and see my potential see what i could do for them
1: yeah it's an audition tape all right that's let's let's do just saying stuff and then they will we will get out of here uh for this week ben the war of words between steven espinoza and dana white rolls on they continue to snipe at each other through the media this week uh It was reporters asking Steven Espinoza to respond to comments Dana White had said, where, uh, among other things, he called Steven Espinoza a weasel and said it's about time that shitty product is off the air, meaning Showtime boxing. Uh, At the recent press conference here over the weekend, Espinoza was asked about it. And here here is his retort to Dana White. He says, I'm shocked by the comments. We've always known Dana to be so articulate and intelligent and witty with his comments. It's so strange of him to lash out in anger. Who would have guessed that he would lash out in anger at someone? We've never seen that before, right? Then he goes on to say, uh, I think some of it is that I didn't go along with his misrepresentations that he wanted to say on the events that we did together Like now. Specifically, Espinoza is probably talking about uh, the Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather fight where Dana White came out and said a certain number of pay-per-view buys that he did that it did. And Espinoza had to come back in and say, like, no, that's not accurate. Here I am with a publicly traded company. I can't just make up falsehoods about how many uh, pay-per-view buys are our event did, but I digress. He goes on. He says, I think it's kind of obvious. I don't have to articulate it. I think people can put two and two together and see why he tends to single me out among most other people for that kind of idiotic abuse. If that's the only way he can engage in some sort of dialogue, then more power to him. I hope he, he can someday elevate his vocabulary and learn how to speak more eloquently and articulately. I think it's something that might be necessarily helpful if you are going to be a leader of a publicly traded company. To all of which I just say, I'm just saying, he's not wrong, right? He's not totally off base. Nobody is reading this, these Steven Espinoza comments about Dana White and being like, well, that's wrongheaded. Espinoza's just off base on this one. No, no. we're all, Every one of us is reading this and just kind of being like, yep, yeah, that's, that's Dana White you're dealing with there. That's yeah. find the
0: lie. But also, I I don't think Dana White is reading these comments and being like, I should take this constructive criticism <laughs> no. in the spirit with which it was intended.
1: If Dana White is reading comments about someone who says he should step up his vocabulary and be more articulate, Dana White is laughing, calling them a nerd and showing mm-hmm. the comments to whatever intern is paid to be in his office at the moment. And that intern is smiling and nodding and looking at the clock, waiting for it to be 5 p.m. so they can leave. We're waiting for it to be Dana
0: White's blackjack time so he can leave.
1: That's right. Just saying. I'm just saying.
0: Well, Chad, this week, my just saying stuff, uh, among other things that I happen to check out as I'm perusing the social medias and see what's going on in the world of combat sports, they had one of them fight circuses. Oh, yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, a couple guys fighting on the ice I saw. Yeah, exactly. Guys fighting on the ice. Uh, I saw... Uh, the big home Ben been the Bane Davis out there losing a leg wrestling match. Um, so, you know, that, that was interesting as well. This week, Chad, I'm just saying no fight promotion has ever picked a more fitting name for itself <laughs> than fight circus. Yeah, It's, Exactly what you think it would be if you just heard the name and nothing else about it. You're like, there's a fight circus show this weekend. Oh yeah. What are they going to have on that? Ah, you know, some leg wrestling, you know, maybe a a two on one match. Maybe some guys are going to be standing there on the ice, you know, a little little something of everything. And you're just like, yeah, no, that, that fucking sounds like a fight circus. It's just the most perfectly named MMA or or fight promotion in existence. And I got to give them credit for that. You know, just they they tell you what they are and they just go out and be that thing. They don't pretend. They don't pretend to be anything other than what they are. Yeah. I'm just saying, I appreciate that.
1: Truth and advertising. Yeah. You know, a friend of mine who works in Hollywood once told me that the best ideas are the ideas that are original, but when someone says them to you in a couple of words, you instantly know what they mean. You instantly know what the movie is about. For example, wedding crashers. Mm -hmm. You say Wedding Crashers, everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. Maybe the same thing is true of Fight Circus. Cocaine Bear. Exactly. Fight Circus
0: is the cocaine bear of the MMA world. That's
1: a fitting metaphor. I don't even think anybody would question it. That's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Come join us. On the Patreon page, we're over there all week. Patreon.com slash co-main event. Wednesdays, live chat. Thursday, doing the damn things. Friday, power hour. You'll get more co-main event podcasts than you want, frankly. But at least you get in and get it as a reasonable price. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Join us on the Patreon page. If not, we'll talk to you next week. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. You're are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. Made it very clear that you just sat inside and looked at your phone this weekend. Those are the items of a man who spent a lot of time scrolling over the weekend. But
0: well, you know what? When you're cooped up with these children
1: who refuse to go outside because it's raining, you, you kind of are left with some limited options, Jeff. Do they have raincoats? You gotta get a raincoat in the fall in Montana. You get them a raincoat, and then you're like, man, we're throwing on the raincoat and we're going outside.
0: We got umbrellas. We got coats, we got all kinds of stuff, but for two kids who seem to think that uh, the only type of shoes that deserve to be worn are Crocs, sometimes it's a little bit of a rough transition out of summertime,
1: you know? Yeah, no, we got some of that going on over here. I've had to detail a couple of Crocs in these past couple weeks, unfortunately.